papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Welcome to The Media Project, an inside look at media coverage of current events. I'm Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette in Schenectady, and now I'm vice president for editorial development at the New York Press Association. I'm filling in for our usual host, Rex Smith, who is the former editor of the Albany Times Union. Joining us this week is WAMC CEO, commentator, columnist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Alan Chartok. I'm glad you said that because I was getting really nervous when you kept calling everybody former this and former that. And I was worrying, <laughs> uh-oh, that's going to attach to me too. Not at all. And now we've got Rosemary Armeo. She's an investigative journalist, and now she's a U Albany professor. And Barbara Lombardo, journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of both the Saratogian and the Record in Troy. Let's start with the Nobel Peace Prize. Two journalists, Maria Ressa, the founder of a new site in the Philippines, and Dmitry Moroftov, the editor of a newspaper in Russia, jointly won the 2021 Nobel Peace Prize for their efforts to safeguard freedom of expression, which is a precondition for democracy and lasting peace. That according to the Nobel Committee. Ressa and Moroftov weren't only honored for their own work, but as representatives of journalists everywhere in the world where press freedom is increasingly under threat. So that uh, had us all patting ourselves on the back, aren't we, in a great profession. But uh, Will Bunch on the Philadelphia Inquirer raised an interesting point about journalists in America, that maybe we shouldn't be so self-satisfied, that this prize may be a wake-up call for us to stop looking the other way when it comes to what's happening in our own country. What do you think, Alan? Well, I do think the press is always the automatic enemy of people who are in power. Nobody likes it. I think Rosemary has made a point many times that even one of my personal heroes, Barack Obama, wasn't always so hotsy-totsy when it came to freedom of the press. So I do think that it is something that is a part of American democracy. On the other hand, as you all know, I have always believed that it is certainly possible for people who own the press to behave miserably so that we can't just say it's all about freedom of the press because sometimes the press doesn't behave. But has the American press corps, the U.S. press corps, specifically the Capitol press corps, have they done enough to focus a laser light on what's happening, particularly with the Republican Party? What do you think, Rosemary? I think that Nobel Prize is extremely important, and it points out that American journalism is fading. I spent half my life preaching American-style journalism around the world to people who had never had a free press, and they've taken it beyond us, and now we need to learn from them. Maria Resser and Dmitry Muratov do not just sit around and write balance. He said, she said, on the one hand this, on the one hand that. They write the truth. We have dictators here who are killing journalists and they're killing you, and they write it plain and straight the way some outlets actually did start under Trump, and they now have been painted as partisan and anti-Trump. But the truth is, it is 
fascism that we've been moving towards, just as in the Philippines and even worse in Russia. And the media, the journalists are the people who should be calling this out. We are not. We're being careful, measured. Uh, we did not make a big deal out of the John Eastman letter, which is horrible. It's, it's a blueprint for a coup, and you hardly read about it. Instead, we're reading about, well, other important things, but nothing is as important as this for democracy. And the one person lately who has told the whole truth plainly in activist terms and with a laugh is Bill Maher, who did a rant that's gone viral. I, I moved it today on my Facebook page. I'm so taken with it. And what he says is it's a moving coup and it's still moving. And we're sitting back while Trump is taking over the world. Why isn't the press corps writing about that? Barb, do you think the press corps needs to do more in the United States? Are we being too limp, too weak about our coverage of what's happening in politics? Yes, I agree 1,000% with Rosemary, and she said it much more articulately than I could. We've got to quit pussyfooting around as the press, quit worrying about this false sense of objectivity, and call what's happening in our country. Say it as it is, and history is going to go back and show whether we allowed our democracy to get lost or whether we try to preserve democracy by strongly and being active. Journalism has to be activism. That's not necessarily taking a side. It's telling the truth firmly, loudly, repeatedly. Bill Maher is doing it. You're right. But, Alan, isn't that one of the reasons Republicans turn off mainstream journalism, because they think we are biased? Isn't this approach going to hurt us among that group that we're trying to reach, or is that a hopeless cause? I say screw them, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> You know, know, their behavior has been miserable. They've been backing a would-be dictator. And so uh, when the press calls them out for what they're doing, they react very strongly, and they say the press is tainted, the press is partial. But in fact, you got to take chances. I do know that I'm pretty proud of the way WAMC has been covering things, including this program, and I hope that we will have the gumption to continue to do that. Can I add one more thing? The Nobel sure. laureate probably said it best. She said, in a war over facts, which is exactly what we have right now with the crazy Republican Party that's gone rogue, in a battle over facts, journalism is activism. So this taunt that you're hearing from right-wing politicians saying, I'm not talking to you, you're an activist, take up that challenge because we are only activists for saying what's really happening. And we cannot be intimidated by politicians. I learned this going overseas, trying to be balanced and fair. And editors are there. And some American editors who had learned before me just said, no, this is not about being fair to politicians. It's about being fair to democracy. So when they refuse to talk, you write that. You don't say, Oh, I'll submit written questions. I'll do whatever you want. Don't kowtow to them. We are a branch of democracy. We're a pillar of democracy. And American journalists, some already do. I'm not, I'm not excoriating everyone. But many of us are weak, and we take the easy way out. And we have to stop because the stakes are extremely high. They could not be higher. And when you look at the utterances of Donald Trump and the kind of anti-democratic course that he would put us on, change the very basis of our country, change presidential elections so that people who didn't win, win, and take away the certification of elections and the peaceful transference of power. Pretty powerful stuff. And if the journalists aren't there to call them out, boy, there's a problem. Right, and the journalists don't seem to 
have been effective. I mean, while they've taken some stabs at trying to do this, the fact that Bill Maher went on his program has had such an impression on so many millions of people. Clearly, the message isn't getting to most Americans. And so the mainstream media needs to both follow it better and do a better job of portraying the information so people really get the message. So can I switch to football? John Gruden stepped down as the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders football team hours after the media reported detailed emails in which he made racist, homophobic, misogynistic remarks, lots of them. The emails were leaked to the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, and the question now becomes, what does the media do next? And has the press, especially the sports press, looked the other way when it comes to the NFL? Alan, what do you think? Well, look, you know, nobody who has made these kinds of utterances should be safe. Now, I think there's been a sea change in the way in which people in this country regard humor, for example. When I worked in Congress all those years ago, it was common parlance, not by me, but I can tell you common parlance by members of Congress and others to tell ethnic and uh, scurrilous jokes. What's happening now is he's not being called for something he said yesterday. He's being called for something he said years ago. And that is something that is an interesting phenomenon to me, because I think an awful lot of Americans would lose their jobs, lose their work and everything else. But I do think the message is now clear with Gruden going and a very popular man, that it won't be tolerated anymore. And that's a good thing. But he wasn't saying things in a humorous way. He was displaying his gut feelings about women, minorities, gays. So that doesn't matter if it was 10 years ago, five years ago, or yesterday. When you're leading people, it's not acceptable anywhere. And it wasn't a lame attempt at humor that maybe the culture was willing to look the other way at at some point. This this was a lot worse than that. And I want to see more about what was in these 650,000 emails. This was one target to get rid of Gruden. And I think he deserved to lose his job, to have to resign. But what about the rest of the NFL, the leadership? What about the rest of the team? There's a lot that has to come out of that still. And I'd want to know, where's the report on the rest of the, where's the findings? Whether it's leaked, I'd love to see the NFL take the initiative and, and get ahead of this at this point. They're already not ahead of it, but take a leadership spot on it now and reveal what has to be cleaned up. It's probably pretty ugly. So I'm not a sports fan. The only sports news I read is when it's news, when it's criminal charges or harassment and firings such as this one. And there seems to be a lot of it. So I I think the media eats up any wrongdoing by sports. And that's why it's so important in this country. There are role models. And there is a pattern here with Gruden and probably with others, like all those people who read those messages over the years. None of them got upset by it. In fact, some of them are still defending him even now, or I guess they been scared away, but they were defending him up to the last minute. And I, you know, I look back and we were all writing messages and things 10 years ago. Did we say bad things about women or gays or minorities? I don't think so. I think there really is a pattern here of racism and chauvinism in sports that has to be gotten rid of. And the NFL has had a big problem with domestic violence, which is, you know, also a form of women hatred. So yeah, we have a problem in our society. Sports illustrated very vividly, and the media, I think, rightly covers it in a big way. Just a story I'd never heard of this guy, this coach, before this story, but it deserves it, and people who do know him need to pay attention, as we all do. And meanwhile, ESPN's top NFL reporter, a guy named Adam Schefter, he's facing blowback from some in the sports journalism community after it was revealed 
that he sent an unpublished story to a source for review before submitting it to his editor. So the story was written back in 2011. He sent it to former Washington football team president Bruce Allen, and he said to him, please let me know if you see anything that should be added, changed, tweaked. Thanks, Mr. Editor, for that and the trust. Plan to file this to ESPN about 6 a.m. So the question is, what's the ethics of letting your source or someone you cover read your story and tweak it if something's wrong? Ever had that happen? Barb, ever allow your reporters to do that? I've got to give you a qualified absolutely yes as my answer. It's not sending an entire story to a source saying, hey, what do you think? It's for what I would advise reporters and now my students and myself when I'm writing something. If you're writing something that's complicated, that you may not have gotten 100% right, or you want to make sure that you've got your facts right and that you're explaining it in context, then you can take pieces of that. Sometimes it involves numbers, which journalists are sometimes weak on. You can send that to the trusted source. They trust you to take whatever they're telling you. You need people that you can trust to show and say, am I getting, am I getting this right? Am I explaining it correctly? Let me know. And then you say, I, you know, I need it back in two hours or I need it by tomorrow morning, whatever. I think that's okay. I think that's how we avoid mistakes. But there's a fine line of going too far. You don't want to send an entire story. I'd say most of the time, you're not going to send somebody an entire story so that they get an advanced look at what you're going to be published. That's a little problematic. But the importance of fact-checking and checking for context, it's worth it. What do you think, Rosemary? Psychophantic note bothered me way more than the practice of sending a story to be read. I have on occasion done that, but never before I give it to an editor as well. And I would say to the source, I'm sending you this so you can see if there's any factual errors in it. It's already gone to an editor. I will change factual errors. If you see something in tone or other things that you don't like, you can tell me about it, but I'm not guaranteeing that I will change anything. This note is, oh, thank you. Bow, bow, humble, humble. He's a PR person, not a... Not a journalist. The problem is that this one incident that happened a decade ago. So that's like he's being publicly humiliated for it now. That's probably punishment enough. But if I were his editors, I'd be looking at his practices now and in the last few years. If he's still doing this, horrible. Hmm. Alan, you probably deal with this a little bit when you record interviews ahead of time. Does anybody ever call and say, can you cut that out or I did something wrong? You know, Judy, it may have happened in the distant past that somebody called and asked about something, but almost never, and I, I frankly, I'm going to go with never, that I have had people call up and say, it would be best if you didn't say it. Now, I do remember one Mario Cuomo interview, as you remember, maybe 12, 18 years, I don't remember how long, I did a weekly show with Mario, and at one point, he decided he was going to call me a putz on the air. And I said to him after the show, you can't call me putz because it means penis. And you're going to be a lot of upset people. He does not. That's a schmuck, he said. And I said, well, no, you're wrong. And an hour later, I got a call from the governor saying, we have to do the show over again. So um, there's a good example of everybody, including WAMC, you know, disallowed utterances, taking it back. Now I'm telling the story now, which is different than then. This actually came up on um, the last couple of days. Katie Couric has a new book out in which she admits that she uh, took out some controversial comments that Ruth Bader Ginsburg made about Colin Kaepernick because she thought it would be bad for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, this is old news because the quote got out and she said it to other people, but Couric is being criticized for doing this because she liked Ruth Bader Ginsburg and so she wanted to protect her. And so that was an issue that she came across. 
Those are two kind of different situations. So one is an editorial judgment, the writer or editor's judgment about whether to use or not use quotes that somebody said. And that is a perfect example where that can certainly be problematic. As far as letting a source see the quotes that you intend to use, that's really problematic. Fact-checking is one thing. But I would be, I think it's a terrible practice to try to show quotes to people. Nobody's going to like their quotes. Oh, I didn't mean to say this. I should have said it this way. What I really uh, wish I said, can I reset that? Don't use this quote. I don't like the way it looks. You can't open that door. As an editor, I would see quotes in a reporter's story that just didn't ring true, or it seemed to me that they misheard or they misused a word. And in instances like that, I would go back to the reporter and say, you need to check with your source and just read them back this particular sentence. And is this what really what they meant to say? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound like the person. Um, I think it's a reporter error. That's one thing. But showing people the quotes and giving them an opportunity or hearing, listening to them for broadcast and giving them an opportunity to change it, I don't know. That's a problem. Barbara's right. It was indeed something that would make Ruth Bader Ginsburg look bad and Katie Couric protected her. That's also really bad, though. The press has no obligation to make their heroes look better. In fact, we do them a disservice. Mother Teresa was never more real and vibrant than when Christopher Hutchins, avowed atheist, wrote about her and wrote about her foibles and her failures of faith. She, she became less a saint and more a real person. So accuracy is never an evil thing. I have, on occasion, taken out material by young people, by teenagers, who say things that come off as incredibly racist or insensitive because I think they don't really realize, perhaps, A, what they're saying, or more importantly, the impact of saying it in public. So I have removed things like that out of protecting sources, but certainly not a public figure like a Supreme Court justice. Well, Rosemary, here's my problem with that. I get it. I get what you're saying, and I really admire you for protecting those people. But if what journalism is supposed to do is to show the way things are now, and you have young people saying racist or homophobic or other things, and you take them out in order to protect them, doesn't that do the society in general a disservice that this kind of thing is going on? You may be right. I did it with great trepidation. But if you're a teenager and you're talking to a journalist, you're having a heady experience, you're full of yourself, and you're dumb. I mean, come on, I've had teenagers. And they say things, do they really mean it? Can I, in this story where I'm quoting him, give the full context? This kid really has worked, you know, with the NAACP or anything, you know, any exculpatory information? Probably not. It's probably a passing line in a story that would do great harm to one person. And that's why I ended up taking it out. But no, it was not easy. Those could be difficult decisions, but they're important. The power of the printed word online, in paper, wherever, is it's there forever for people to find and it can haunt you. It's sort of like a photograph where a photograph you'd like to think of as a representation of, of what's going on at an event, but it's it's one you know fraction of a second captured in time forever, which may be a, not a true representation. So, and you don't want that to be the history of that moment. So altering quotes or removing quotes, we need to have a good reason for doing it, but there's times when we do need to do it. Yeah, not altering. I think that's wrong. And the Times Union have community blogs and you as the moderator can either remove everything or leave it, but you can't change it because that really is just wrong. That's not what the person said. It's what you said. That seems to me to be the way to go. 
I always thought that there was a slightly different standard for public officials, you know, people who are prominent in the public eye, as opposed to the uh, the person who's never talked to a reporter before, doesn't understand what's happening, to give them a little bit of grace. I would never alter a quote, but if they say something that, especially someone who really does not understand what's happening, and especially a young person, you have to kind of give them a little bit of grace or try to protect them a little bit. Get the information out there, but if they're going going to say something libelous, we wouldn't print it anyway, but just a little bit of protection, the idea of doing no harm. Or minimizing harm, I think, is the society professional journalist tenet. Minimize harm. So we might do harm, but we want to minimize it. So there's a case winding its way through the federal court system out in California about whether or not companies that contract with the uh, government should be subject to freedom of information laws. It's kind of a dry subject, but it's really important because more and more of government um, operations like prisons, cafeterias, uh, building bridges, is being outsourced to companies. And those companies are saying, we don't have to tell you how diverse our workforce is or, or how, we, how we operate our machinery because we're a private company. As this trend continues, reporters are increasingly coming up against this obstacle that the freedom of information laws are not stretching to include those. But should they? Alan, what do you think? Well, here's the issue. Rex and I have duked it out, our wonderful moderator, Rex, who is not with us this week, over whether or not when I ask him a question about the internal affairs of a newspaper, he says, well, that's a private newspaper. So in other words, there is this sense that because we are private, because we're privately owned, we enjoy a protection that most people might not if we were going after the story. That's always bothered me a lot. Wow. Not the same at all. If that private newspaper had a contract with the government and my taxpayer dollars were going to the Times Union, I want to know everything about it. The way our money is spent is public record. Budget is the most basic of public records. And for years now, this is how government officials have been trying to get around freedom of information laws. They are outsourcing to private agencies or to companies like this. And then they say, no, it's proprietary. We can't uh, we can't tell you. It's a hoax to protect the government officials, not the company. This is not a company information that's going out. It's really been a weakness in the law, and it's more than past time to change it. All records about government spending, even if it's through a private company, should be public. I think you make a good point. However, newspapers and other media outlets can get themselves into a little bit of a mess. For example, we have discussed on this show many times the legals, right? The idea that if legal notices are published, the newspaper gets money from it. And so one can always show that there is no wall of separation between newspapers or media as beneficiaries and as outside sources or objective observers. I think sometimes media gets away with murder. Not in the case of the story that we're talking about right now. I mean, the public can find out how much a public entity, how much a school district or a government is spending on its legal ads and who's getting the money by going through the budgets of those institutions. They don't need to be going through media companies' private records to get that information. When's the last time you saw that happen? In other words, when's the last time anybody really did a thorough investigation between media and its relationship with money and government? Have you ever seen a story like that? I couldn't tell you that off the top of my head, but what this particular issue has to do with entities that have contracts with the government, totally different. 
Well, you're actually seeing that story right now with the government looking into Facebook, which is definitely a media company. We're looking at how it's behaving. And yes, it's all being done by whistleblowers because their records are public. You know, I think there are two different things going on here. Media companies should be open and transparent. That's what they're all about. And they're not. I think, Alan, you're right. On the other hand, as a private company, they get the same rights as any other private company in this country, which is protection of their secrets, their trade secrets, their practices. And they should not be open. Otherwise, you'd have government going in and trying to wipe out the media companies. So that's fine. But when any company, public, private, semi-private, whatever you want to call them, and there's all kinds of variations, does business with the government, that's a whole entirely different thing. And all of those transactions and all the correspondence involving those transactions should be public. And, you know, under the existing freedom of information laws, they really are. They actually are. But there's one exemption in most public record laws at the state and federal level, let's say, if company secrets are involved, we can hide information. And that's why they're going to private companies. And then the companies say, no, 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 we, we, we're not public. We don't have to give this out. It's a loophole. And the California law would close a loophole, and they ought to. Right. And in, in this case, the trade secret, the information the company is arguing is a trade secret, is how the diversity of its workforce. And so the question is, how could that be a trade secret? I mean, in my time trying to find information out through freedom of information requests, I've heard people claim almost anything could be a trade secret. So it's a big loophole. It's a big squishy area that the laws need to tighten up. I mean, consider that there are state governments, local governments that contract to run prisons, to run health care facilities. Doesn't the public have a right to know how those companies operate, what their policy is about taking care of prisoners or dispensing health advice? It's all something that the public really does have a right to know. And this is an increasing problem that needs to be addressed. Well, I think we're out of time, believe it or oh, not. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks to Alan, Rosemary, and Barbara, and thanks to our producer, David Gustina. I'm Judy Patrick. We'll be back again next week with more Media Project. Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake. Ding, ling, ding, ling, 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 ling. Now, newspaper men are such interesting people. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally, the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their... The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Judy Patrick is the Vice President for Editorial Development for the New York Press Association. Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. And Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and adjunct professor at the University at Albany. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at WAMC.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. An acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. It's funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.